Hello and welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. Uh, this morning is our second message in a series on David's life entitled Encouraged. And today uh, the message is entitled Running. And we'll be looking at Psalms 56 and how it relates to the life of David. Please enjoy. Psalms number 56 this morning, and uh, we started a brand new series, Sunday morning series last week, entitled Encouraged, and uh, we're the next couple months, we're going to be going through the life of David, and we're going to lay the foundation for our study in our series uh, this morning, Psalms 56. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able one last time to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Be merciful unto me, O God, for a man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O Thou Most High. What time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. In God I will praise His word. In God have I put my trust I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together, they hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God I will praise his word, in the Lord I will praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God, I render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? The title of the message this morning is Running. Running. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for everything you've done for us. Bless the message we're about to receive. Bless us, Lord, uh, with your Holy Spirit. Give us power today. Feed us from the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. After the Bible, probably one of my favorite books is our hymnal here. And some of you, many of you can probably tell already. One of the things I love to study is I love to study the origin of our hymnals. I love to study who wrote the hymnal. I love to study the, the circumstances behind the hymnal. And uh, it's just, a, you know, because I feel that if that through the writer of the hymns experience with God, me and you can experience God along with them. We can experience God through their experience with God. I'm here to tell you today that the book of Psalms is just the hymnal for the children of Israel. It's just the hymnal for the children of Israel, and it's no different. 150, there are 150 psalms in our Bible. At least 74 of those psalms were penned by David. Now, most, most of these songs come without superscript, 
which means we don't know where it falls in the life of David. But there are many that do have a superscript. And that means we know where in the timeline of David's life the psalm was written. So we know the circumstances behind the psalm. We know the circumstances that David was going through when God encouraged him with a song. Now over the few next few months, we're going to go through these psalms and we're going to try to put them in chronological order into the, in, in the life of David. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to see David get delivered by God again and again and again. And what we're going to see slowly but surely is we're going to see David grow. We're going to see David grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And we're going to be reminded of something. We're going to be reminded that when a child of God goes through a dark time, we're going to be reminded that when a child of God goes through a difficult time, that God is there and God will not fail a child of God. Uh, God will not fail us. Because he will not fail us, we can take our Bible and we can sing praises to him because after all, that is how we encourage ourselves. So let's talk about where David is at the point in his life where he wrote Psalms 56. At this point in David's life, I will tell you that it was not David's finest hour. Ever since, ever since Samuel anointed, king, anointed David to be king and ever since Samuel anointed him with the horn of oil, David's life has been a whirlwind. Man, from, from killing the giant Goliath of Gath to uh, making friends with the king's son, Jonathan, to getting a promotion by King Saul. Man, up to this point, everything's been coming up, David. Up to this point, everything's been hunky-dory. Everything's been good. But, you know, that all stopped when the women started singing uh, Saul with his thousands and David with his ten thousands. And then that old jealousy bug bit old King Saul. And he could not allow such divided loyalty in his kingdom. So what did he do is uh, we see that uh, King Saul, <coughs> excuse me, uh, King Saul tried to murder David on two different occasions. When that didn't work, he sent him to the Philistines to fight against the Philistines with enormous odds stacked against him. Then Saul tried to kill David a third time. And then David, uh, Saul organized a series of manhunts in which David was public enemy number one. <coughs> Yet this whole time, David was upright. This whole time, David responded with righteousness. The Bible tells us that no, four, no fewer than four times that David reacted to Saul, to Saul's venom wisely. We see that Saul was consumed by hatred, but we see that David was consumed by holiness. We see that Saul was full of fear, but then we also see that David was full of faith. I want you to see the difference between the two was so obvious that Saul's own son Jonathan sided with David against his father because the difference between the two was so obvious to him. 
David's story is a textbook of how me and you should react in the midst of turmoil. David's story is it, 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 it's an example of how we should re, of how demonstrating grace when surrounded by rage. It's an example of how we should rest in God with facing injustice. David was quite the example. But then something happened. Something happened in David's life and it was like it was like a light switch was turned off in David's head. It's like all of a sudden everything changed. All of a sudden David goes from acting righteously and, he, and he, then he goes to acting as if he doesn't have any faith at all. Um, we read 1 Samuel 21 and we think to ourselves, where did that come from? You see, David had ran, from his li- ran for his life to, uh, to Ahimelech, the priest of Nob, and the events that followed after that would affect David greatly for the rest of his life. In fact, the incidents described between 1 Samuel 21 and 1 Samuel 24 led to David writing no fewer than seven psalms. David would remember those days for the rest of his life, and David would never again allow himself to forget the lessons that he learned during this time in his life. Ahimelech was alarmed to see David. He was alarmed to see David, and he asked why he came alone. And, and, and David, David managed to tell the priest four lies in one sentence. He told the priest four lies in one sentence. David had convinced the priest that he was on a top-secret government mission. All of a sudden, David's 007. And, I, and he, he's on a top secret mission from the government. And so what does the man of God do? The man of God gives him food and the man of God gives him the sword of Goliath. Now, what David did next, um, it kind of defies all, all logic. You would think that the last place in the world that David would want to be would be Goliath's hometown of Gath. But believe it or not, that's exactly where David went. David went to Gath, and all of a sudden now, he's public enemy number one. Because now King Achish of Gath is ready to kill David. David's decision-making, I want you to see David's decision-making start to go downhill. He started, instead instead of acting wisely, David starts to act foolishly. Let this be a reminder that any one of us could fall at any time. Nobody is above falling. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how much of the Bible you've memorized. I don't care how many hours you've spent in prayer. In just one second, it takes, it takes a lifetime to build a testimony. It takes a couple seconds to lose it. Anybody can fall. It doesn't matter who you are. So here's, here's the million-dollar question we're asking this morning. David, what happened? David, how did you go from making wise decision after wise decision after wise decision from making all this fool, to all this foolishness? What happened to you, David? What happened? Well, we find the answer in the Word of God. We don't find it just once. We find it twice. 1 Samuel 21.10 says, And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to King Achish, the king of Gath. 
1 Samuel 21.12 says, And David laid these words up in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. You know what David's problem was? David was scared to death. David was full of fear. David had allowed fear to dominate and consume his life. And that fear led to a series of bad, bad decisions. There was a man in West Seattle who was deathly afraid of spiders. He went into his laundry room one day and um, inside of his laundry room was a, the biggest spider he'd ever seen. So this man got himself a spray paint can and a lighter and tried to dispatch of the spider. Now, we don't know the fate of the spider, but what we do know is that his house caught fire and caused $60,000 worth of damage. I'm here to tell you today that fear, his, uh, that fear can lead to some dangerous decisions. That fear, whether the fear is imaginary or whether the fear is real, the results are always real. Fear has a huge price tag today. So once again, just like we did last week, we're going to ask for David's help. David, help us out. What do we do when they be many that fight against me? Where do we go when the, when the foe would, would daily swallow me up? David, what do we do? David, what do we do when we're afraid? David, what do we do when we're full of fear? David, what do we do when we're scared to death? What do we do, David? What do we do? How do we encourage ourselves in the Lord when we are afraid? Once again, I'm going to tell you, it's the reason why Psalms 56 is in the Bible. And what we're, let's, verse number three in Psalms 56 says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. What I want to do this morning, first off, is I want to look at some things fear did to David. I'm going to give you some things fear did to David. But first, let me tell you that frightened people, often, they speak erratically often. They often speak erratically. And when a frightened person speaks to you, you can hear the panic in their voice. David's gonna, David makes some statements in Psalms 56 and you can almost hear the turmoil in his head. You can almost hear the panic in his voice as we read these statements that he, let me, as that he said. Let me read these statements to you from Psalms 56. Statements that David made. Man would swallow me up. He is fighting daily. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me. He also says, every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. And then he says, they gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Here's the first thing that fear did to David. Number one, his fear caused him to give too much credit to his enemies. His fear caused him to give too much credit to his enemies. Now, in one breath, he describes these men as mortals, but in the other breath, he says, they're going to swallow up my soul. Now, the, those men could not literally swallow up his soul. Now, oftentimes, me and you do the same thing when we're afraid. 
So many times uh, our fear convinces us that Satan can do more than Satan can do. Our fear convinces us that Satan can do things that have been limited by God. I'm here to tell you that, 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 that Satan is not able to swallow up your soul if you're a child of God. Yea, Satan cannot touch one hair on your head unless he has permission from God. We give Satan too much credit sometimes. Satan is not God. Satan does not have the power of God. He is not all-powerful. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. Satan is none of those things. And yet we give Satan these attributes sometimes because our fear convinces us that Satan can do things that Satan cannot do. Because your fear will make you give too much credit to your enemies. Number two, his fear wore him down. His fear wore him down. He was convinced that uh, he was convinced that his enemy was fighting daily. Now, that's a Bible way of saying all day long. Okay, and then he said they were daily seeking a way to swallow him up. He's saying they are speaking against me all day, every day. They come after me. The enemy would rest, the enemy would plot, the enemy would watch, the enemy would wait. And just all day, every day, he was wore down by this fact. Let me tell you something. When fear rules your life, you live in a constant state of panic. And that fear, it will dominate every part of your life. If you have fear in one area of your life... That fear will bleed over and it will spread into other parts of your life. Until after a while, because you have that one fear, every thought and every action you make becomes dominated by that fear. So that one fear in one area of your life, if you let it go unchecked, it will spread and it will infiltrate other areas of your life. And every decision you make and every thought you have will be dominated by fear. And number three, his fear turned him into a self-centered man. His fear turned him into a self-centered man. In the first six verses of Psalms 56, uh, David uses 17 personal pronouns. Now, in the next six verses... He mentions God, he refers to God 17 times. So, uh, you know, it's not surprising that the first six verses describe David's despair and the next six verses describe David's victory. When our eyes are on us, all we can see is how inadequate we are. When our eyes are on us, all we can see is how powerless we are. When our eyes are on us, all we can see is how weak we are. But if we were to take our eyes off of us and put our eyes on God, then we'll be impressed by how powerful he is. If we take our eyes off us and put our eyes on God, we'll be impressed by how strong he is. If we take our eyes off us and put our eyes on God, we'll see that he has more than enough to meet our needs. 
But how hard is it to take our eyes off of ourselves? Because we are self-centered people. And fear will make you be self-centered. But I say, but then we get down to verse number 13. Read verse number 13 with me. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Man, this is an encouraging verse. With David's enemies coming on him like dark clouds on the horizon, David testifies that God has saved me from death. This then in turn gave David the confidence to say that God will keep my feet from falling. Now, the Old Testament word delivered, it means rescued. It means he snatched him out of harm. A falling David needed God to catch him and set his feet on a solid rock so that he could walk in the light of God's face. Now, right here, the phrase in the verse 13, it says, walking in the light. What that meant is that David could now walk openly. He could walk openly in safe places. And in David's day, it also meant he could walk in happy places. Nearly a millennia later, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he repeats this lesson. John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let me tell you something. It is a bright day when someone is rescued. It is a bright day when someone's fears are gone. But it is a far brighter day when their soul is saved from eternity. I want to tell you today, brother and sister, I want to tell you that David went from darkness of fear to the light of peace. He had victory over his fear. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at some lessons on victory over fear. Lesson number one this morning. Victory Victory over fear and our choice. Victory over fear and our choice. There are nine times in Psalms 56 where David says, I will, where he says, I have put. It's impossible to miss David's own responsibility. God's deliverance was freely available, but David was the one who had to access it. Uh, There would never be victory. Victory would never come for David until David decided he wanted it. And when he wanted victory over fear, victory would come. You know, there could be a lot of people that, uh, that they don't want victory over fear. You know why they don't want victory over fear? Maybe because we love pity parties. We love pity. We love throwing us a good pity party. We love it. Uh, Maybe we love how much attention we get when we throw a pity party. Uh, Maybe we throw pity parties uh, to just obsess over our needs. Obadiah 3 says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. You know what our favorite topic is? What we love to talk about more than anything else? Us. Man, I'm my own favorite topic. I subscribe to the magazine of Brett Martin. I get it every day. I love to read about myself. And the number one topic we love is all about us. 
So, you know, it, it takes strength to join David in saying, I will. You see, instead, David is saying, instead of dwelling on my own situation, I will trust in thee. Instead of endlessly talking, I will praise his word. Instead of dwelling on our enemies, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Instead of singing my own praises, I will tender praises unto thee. Let me tell you where victory begins. Victory begins when me and you make the decision and we determine to start making the right choices. That's where victory begins. It is a choice. A lot of times we think that our fears are out of our hands. Our fears are out of our control, but it is not. Fear begins with a choice. Like I said last week, some people think, oh, uh, uh, why I don't have it uh, to say that I don't, uh, that I rely on other people to make my own decisions. No, you, we make our own decisions, not outside sources. We make our own choices. I don't make a choice because of an outside influence. I don't make a choice because of something happened to me, and then I have no choice but to choose what I choose. Everything begins with a choice. Victory over fear begins with a choice. Number two, lesson number two, victory over fear and our trust. Victory over fear and our trust. I want to tell you that David's self-confidence led to his present disaster. Um, by following his own thinking, he endangered the priests of Nob. He ruined his own personal testimony. He risked his life by traveling into Philistine territory. And he learned the hard way, Proverbs 28, 26. Which says, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. In Psalms 56, we see that David comes to a place in his life when he decides that when he's in trouble, David places his trust in the Lord. He knows this because in the psalm, he says it three times. Verse 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Verse 4. In God, I have put my trust. Verse 11, in God, have I put my trust? Placing, trust, placing his trust in God, uh, David was showing that his confidence in God alone would keep him safe and secure. Now, um, we often think of the words, we often think of the words believe and the word trust meaning about the same thing. In the Old Testament, they were different. In the Old Testament, they were different. One would believe on God in the matter of salvation, but one would trust in God in the matter of peace and security. So David, David said he could trust in God to keep his soul safe, and he could trust in God to keep him safe from harm. Let me tell you something. The day that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is a great day. It's a day that he washes our sins away. It's a day he saved us for all of eternity. It's a day he made us the children of God. And there, was, uh, there are so many wonderful results that stem from the day we trusted him with our souls. But if we can trust him with our souls, why can't we trust him for today? 
If we can trust him with our eternity, why can't we trust them with this problem we have? Why can't we do that? You know, when our fear consumes us, you know what we're actually saying to God when we let our fear take over? What we're saying to God is I can trust you to take me to heaven when I die, but I can't trust you to help me with this problem. That's what we say when we allow fear to dominate our thinking. And to be honest, that's ridiculous. This is the person who's had victory over death. This is the person who's had victory over hell. This is the person who has victory over Satan himself. He has the ability to deliver us in our hour of fear. There was a famous African missionary named David Livingstone. David Livingstone once found himself overcome with fear. He was in Africa, and he was in the deepest part of Africa, and there were, there were tribes and natives around him that wanted him dead. His life was at risk every second. One night, he took to his journal, and he wrote these words. <clears throat> it's January 14, 1856, evening. Felt much turmoil of spirit in the prospect of having all my plans for the welfare of this great region. And this teeming population knocked on the head by savages tomorrow. But I read that Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. It is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor. So there's an end of it. I will not cross relatively tonight as I intended. Such should a man as I flee? Nay. Verily, I shall take observations for latitude and longitude tonight, though they may be my last. I feel quite calm now. Thank God. Christian, let me ask you, who do you trust? If you can trust God to save your soul, if you can trust God to save you from an eternal hell, why can't we trust God to help us through our problem? Why can't we trust God to help us with our fear? Lesson number three this morning, victory over fear and the Bible. Victory over fear and the Bible. I want you to see in three, three times in Psalms 56, David reminds himself to stay close to the Bible. Three times he says, in God, I will praise his word. Now, David's Bible consisted of the first five books of the Old Testament, possibly Joshua, possibly Judges. On top of that, he had the prophet Samuel and he had the prophet Nathan declaring God's revelation to him. This was more than enough for David to know that God, that he could turn to God in his hour and time of need. It was more than enough for David to know. But you know what? How much greater an opportunity do me and you have today? We don't have just five or seven books of the, of the Word of God. We have 66 completed books of the Word of God, of God's revelation. This morning we have 150 psalms to sing. We have the wisdom of the psalms, and of, we have the wisdom of Proverbs. We have the preaching of the prophets. We have the history of God's beloved Israel. We have the glorious life of Christ. We have the construction of the local church. We have a book full of prophecies that have been fulfilled. A book full of prophecies that will be fulfilled. 
2 Timothy 1.19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. The antidote to your fear is the word of God. It's time to take the Bible off the bookshelf. It's time to pull off the dust. It's time to wipe off the cobwebs. And it's time to crack open the word of God. You're, you're afraid? Read the Bible. Oh, Brother Brad, I don't know what's going to happen to my marriage. Brother Brad, I don't know what's going to happen to my finances. Brother Brad, I don't know what's going to happen to my health. When's the last time you read the Bible? If you're, if you're fearful and you don't open that book, you want to stay fearful. You don't want to get better. Don't tell me you want to get better when you ain't opened that book since last Sunday. The antidote for fear is in the Word of God. It's where we claim victory. And don't say you want, you want out of your fear and you don't read the Bible. When I was a kid, I was terrified of going into the woods at night. I would not, I didn't want to take the trash out at night because the, the trash can was by the wood line. I remember one time I got lost in the woods. I was lost in the woods for hours. And the whole time I'm thinking, please let me get out before it turns dark. Please let me get out of the woods before it turns dark. Because I, that was my greatest, I got over that, but my greatest fear when I was a kid was being lost in the woods at night. Unless I was with daddy. Now, when I was with Daddy, I didn't care. I'd go in the woods at night because Dad was right there with me. When I was with Daddy, it, it, it didn't matter if I was in the woods at night. In fact, it kind of had fun. All my fears was gone was because Dad was right there. When I, I, I want you to see that the more time you spend in his book, the more you feel the presence of the Father. The more you feel the presence of the Father, the more your fears will melt away. Because who's going to be afraid when Daddy's standing right beside him? So that's why we should spend more time in this book, to feel the presence of the Father. The more we feel his presence, the more our fears, fears will melt away. And eventually we, like David, will be able to say, we won't be able to say it en uh, enough, in God I will praise his word. Lesson number four this morning, victory over fear and a promise. Victory over fear and a promise. Let's look at verse number nine. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know. For God is for me. Look at those last four words again. Last four words of verse 9. God is for me. Those last four words of verse number 9, they, they, made, they made all the difference to David. So many people were against him. Saul was against him. And Saul's soldiers were against him. King Achish was against him. The citizens of Gath were against him. Everybody was against David. But there was somebody on David's side. God is for me. Centuries later, uh, Paul would echo these words in Romans 8.31 when he said, What shall we then say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? 
Who can forget the prophet Elijah as he stood with his fearful servant? His servant was fearful and his servant was afraid and his servant was scared to death. And old Elijah, he looked at his servant in 2 Kings 6.16 and said, and he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. God is for me. This pagan world that you and I live in it's offended at the notion of God taking sides. Worse than that, you have this satanic religion of Islam out there that boasts of their murderous acts and terrorism all in the name of a false god called Allah. And because of this, to many people today, that the concept of God taking sides, it's frightening to them. But I want to tell you today that the Bible tells a different story. The Bible paints a different picture. First Samuel 2.30, them that honor me will I honor. Psalms 46.11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Psalms 118.6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Jeremiah 20, 11, but the Lord is with me as I as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed. They shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. God is for me. Psalms 56 is a story of a man on the run for his life. Uh, running in fear and somewhere along the way he realizes the truth God is for me God is for David's safety God is for David's victory and God is for David's strength if we live for him then dear brother and sister we will also realize God is for us for as well he is for us. Verse number three, he is for the person that puts his trust in him. Verse number four, he is for the person that praises his word. Verse number seven, he is for the person uh, who believes that God will judge the wicked. Verse number eight, he is for the person who believes that God keeps records. Verse number nine, he is for the person who believes that God vindicates. Verse number 10 is for the person who exalts the Bible. Verse number 12 is for the person who keeps his vows. <clears throat> Verse number 13 is for the person who walks before God. God is for us. You know, it's no surprise that in verse number 8, David said, Thou tellest my wanderings, thou put, thou, put thou my tears into thy bottle, are they not in my book? All right, that word tellest, that's an old English word, and it's, it's a mathematical term. Like a counter counting money at a bank. All day long, he does nothing but count money. God is numbering each time we become fearful. He counts every single time it happens. And the fact that God would count every restless moment in our life it shows the great attention and detail that he has concerning mine and your burdens, okay? And even better than that, David said, he puts, my, he puts his tears into thy bottle. You know, an Old Testament bottle was made of animal skin, and it was prepared in such a way where it wouldn't leak. 
And in the deserts of ancient Israel, liquid was a precious, precious thing. And what they would do is they would very carefully and they would very meticulously and uh, they would pour this liquid into this bottle with a very, very small opening. They had a small opening to prevent evaporation. And they took such care and they took such meticulous effort. Why? Because every single drop mattered. It paints a beautiful picture, doesn't it? Every single tear that David shed was carefully collected and preserved by God. And then it was placed in a bottle that was owned by God. And then it was written down in a permanent record in God's book. Those tears that that fearful fugitive shed, God said, I will never forget them. And I will remember every single tear you shed. So with all this in mind, David comes to the conclusion, I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Christian, when fear overtakes you, it'd be good for you to think about your Savior's compassion. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. I can cast all my fear on Him because He cares, me, for, cares for me. I can cast all my burdens on Him because He loves me. What the Bible also says, the Bible also says that love casteth out fear. So the answer to our fear is the love of Christ. Think about the love of Christ. I don't know what you're going through today. You may be going through something, something pretty significant. Maybe you have a fear today. This fear has consumed you every waking moment. You lie in the bed at night and it, it, it fills your head. And you can't shake it. You wake up. You're talking to people and you're smiling on the outside. But in the back of your head, this fear is like a record just playing over and over in your head. Christian, what I'm here to tell you today is that he knows every single burden. I'm here to tell you that he understands every single fear. He knows every worry. He knows every anxiety. He knows every sleepless night. He collects them, he writes them in the book, and he keeps record of it. So we can say, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Years ago, there was a pastor, and his name was Frank Graff, and Frank Graff was a pastor in Philadelphia. Uh, he got this reputation around town. He was known as the Sunshine Minister. Because everywhere he went, he was like a ray of sunshine. He was always smiling, and you could see his teeth, and he was smiling everywhere he went. So people called him the Sunshine Minister. Frank Graff said years later that even though he was called the Sunshine Minister, there's for a long time he didn't feel like it. You see, for a long time in Frank Graff's life, he was consumed with defeat and despair. Many times he had very, very bad thoughts. He come to the place in his life when he couldn't take it anymore and he fell to the ground and he poured out his heart to the one that cares. Instantly the peace of God flooded his soul replacing the raging fear that had overtaken him for years. He cried out aloud. He cried, I know he cares. I know my Savior cares. 
Soon the sunshine preacher had a pen in his hand and a piece of paper. And he began to wrote, he wrote the, the words to a song that have blessed the multitude for many, for many years ever since. And the words to the song go like this. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary long. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades in the deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong, when for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me, and my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks? Is it aught to him does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long night is dreary, I know my Savior cares. What time I am afraid I will trust in thee. Christian, don't leave here today dominated by fear. Don't leave here today consumed by your fear. Get victory over your fear before you leave this building this morning. Because after all, isn't that how we encourage ourselves in the Lord?